Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin has the day off and we are talking today with Mitchell Weitzman, the author of The Rose Temple. Now, we know that this show is dedicated to the second, second career, second family, second chance at love and we talk a lot about like uh, reinventing ourselves, recreating ourselves, becoming the best we can be. And the subject of this book, uh, Lucia Weitzman, who's the subject of Mitchell Weitzman's book in the Rose Temple, and you can check it out at therosetemple.com. You can also find this book at Amazon. Uh, It's a really great read, and it talks about this woman's story of almost reinventing herself. And I'll let the author tell you the story about her reinvention and her continual reinvention to become a spiritual messenger for us, which is really cool. I mean, transformation is the name of the game. When we get to a certain age, we can either stay the same or we can transform and keep growing. And this woman's story is just the greatest story of transformation that I've read in a long time. I'm honored to to bring you today Mitchell Weitzman, author of The Rose Temple. Mitchell, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so yes, um, I think my mother has had not one, two, three, but maybe four lives <laughs> of reinvention. Interestingly, I think her, her first lives were, you know, set for her. It's, it's this last life that she's living now, or this uh, may not be the last one, but the one that she's living now is the, is the road that she's really paved for herself. Um, uh, would you like me to tell you a little bit about this? Yeah, first? I'd like to go back in time because, you know, we all reinvent ourselves in different ways. And so I really want to hear this story and, and go all the way back to the very, very beginning. So my mother was, and my mother has also had uh, three names. <laughs> so right now she's known as Lucia Weitzman, but she was born as Rose Burl. That was her birth name. She was born to Jewish parents in a little town in Poland called Bochnia. Um, not far from Krakow. It's a, it was a beautiful um, little little hill, little hilly town with a market square, just a classic European um, town. Um, anyhow, she had the unfortunate uh, luck to be born uh, uh, in 1940, which, uh, as we know, was the beginning of World War II and the invasion of Poland by the Nazis. Her birth parents... Uh, wanted to escape, um, but they had a problem. What were they going to do with their infant girl? Um, Eventually, they uh, gave her away to a Catholic couple um, who changed her identity and adopted her. So they announced to their neighbors that they had adopted this this cousin from Russia. Um, They they gave her a a new identity card, 
and a new name. So Rose Burl became, Rose Burl, this uh, little Jewish girl in the ghetto, uh, was, uh, who, who most likely would have perished in the Holocaust, as many children did, instead was given to this Catholic couple and given the name Alicia Schwantek. And so she lived with them uh, when she was two, three, four, and five, um, as any little girl, girl were, uh, would. Her, her adoptive mother doted on her and made her dresses and dolls. And she, they had a landlord who, who adored her, who would give her candy every day. Um, well, after the war was over in 1945, um, my, my mother's birth parents did not survive, sadly. Um, but a relative came looking for her. She had promised her birth parents to take care of the little girl if they ever survived. Um, so anyways, uh, they came looking throughout the neighborhood, where is Rose Burl? Well, nobody knew Rose Burl. Everybody knew Alicia Schwantek. Um, so the secret was out. Um, this little girl that had been living with the Schwanteks was, in fact, not the Catholic girl that they uh, told everyone they adopted, but she was a Jewish girl. Well, that revelation had immediate ramifications. This landlord who had adored this little girl saw her playing on the balcony with her little doll singing a lullaby and all of a sudden picked up a brick and threw it as hard as he could towards her head. It just missed her. It shattered the window behind her. Of course, this five-year-old girl was, was crying profusely. What did I do wrong? What did I do? Um, she went to her parents and um, said, you know, this man uh, called me a Jew. Well, uh, what's a Jew? And, and, um, aren't you my, my real parents? So they, they kind of had this talk. Um, and um, my mother did not end up going with the relative. She wanted to stay where she was with the only family that she knew. And so she remained in Poland long after the war ended. Um, now, not just as a, as a Catholic girl, but as a Catholic girl who was born Jewish and everybody knew it. Um, she would get uh, uh, taunted by, by her classmates uh, she would have, have continuous hassles with this uh, landlord who, after he threw the brick, would then take out a butcher's knife and pretend to slit her throat. She went through this every single day. Um, all the while, while she's being called a Jew, she's going to church. She's And she's going to church regularly. She's, she's, she's devout. Um, and so she has no idea what being Jewish means, but she's this Catholic girl. Well, eventually... Um, she, she leaves Poland. Um, she actually has to escape Poland. And in, in the second version of her life, she, she marries uh, my father, who's a Jewish man. He's also a survivor from Poland. And they raise me and my sister. And we, uh, we end up in, in Michigan, in the suburbs of Detroit. And uh, we have a pretty, pretty traditional life. She's, she's um, by this point, she's decided that she has to give up, uh, you know, sort of some of the Catholic beliefs in order to in order to fit in with the Jewish community. Um, and she's a she's a traditional mother. So this is sort of her second life. Um, my my father was more of the dominant dominant person in the family, and so while I knew my mother had some inner strength, um, she didn't talk a lot about her past. And it was really my father's story, and my father really led the show. So, um, so that was the mother. That was the mother that I knew. Um, after he died, she took her life took on a completely different course. 
Um, she had a, um, a mystical um, spiritual experience at the Western Wall where she confronted God. And she asked God, um, why have you made me an orphan again for the third time? It was an interesting choice of words because obviously she had been orphaned by her birth parents. Um, and then by this time, uh, her adoptive parents had also died. So that was the second time. And now her husband died. And uh, I had never remembered my mother being bitter. Um, she never spoke much about the past. But here uh, she was alone at the wall and she had this experience. And as she said, she felt that God actually answered her back. She felt a slight touch, like a feather on her shoulder. She felt a response that she would not be alone, that she would no longer be an orphan, that she would be taken care of. Um, at this point, she thought that that meant she'd get another man in her life, right? My father had died, and after a period of mourning, she was only 53. Um, I'm still quite attractive. I can say that even though I'm her son. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, she's delightful. I mean, she's adorable. And um, and then, you know, and I wanted her, to, you know, I didn't want her to be alone either. Neither did my sister. So we all thought that she would quickly remarry and sort of go back to a conventional life. And everything would, would you know, we were, of course, mourning our father and sad, uh, but that she was still young and, and she could move on. Um, but that experience at the wall and some experiences she had had before then completely changed her life. And she felt a need and compelled to find out more more about that. What was spiritually, what was in her spiritually, what was in her soul? And she went on a, both a spiritual journey and a physical journey. She went around the globe looking for answers. Um, this was, this was kind of the, this next phase of her life where she ran, reinvented herself. Um, and, and that's the part of her life that amazed me so that I, that, um, I encouraged her to, to write this book with me and to not only get her life story out, but to get her message out of hope and reinvention and all the different things that are in this book. Um, that's all because of this spiritual journey that she took. Wow. Now what, what do you think the secret is to your mom's like resiliency that she, she just keeps going. She's like the little energizer bunny. It's, 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 it's a great question. What, what made her, what made her so resilient when she was a schoolgirl? Um, she, she, um, when she's taunted by her classmates, you'd think she'd be sitting in the back row and just be sort of quiet little mouse. But instead she went up to the front row. She, she became a teacher's favorite. She was a star of her school, incredible resiliency. Um, I think then she couldn't tell you, I think now she can, she can tell you. Um, and that, that, that core of her is, is, is her soul, her belief, her faith. Her soul. The, can you say that again? I, I would say it, it was her soul, her her belief, and her faith. I think those those were with her from the beginning, and and that's what she clung to. Uh, she clung to her what she would call now her authentic soul. Her her real self uh, was always no matter what the situation was, she could count on herself. 
Wow. Okay, I'm going to need to take us to commercial break. That's fascinating. I can't wait to hear more about uh, her journey and about her spiritual journey when we come back from the break. The book we're talking about today is The Rose Temple. It's written by Mitchell Weitzman. Now, his last name is spelled Weitzman, W-E-I-T-Z-M-A-N. You can go to therosetemple.com. You can also go to Amazon and look up The Rose Temple. Now, I've got to tell you, this is a really good read, and it's it's not super thick. The book isn't too long, and it's totally in a way that is kind of engaging and you get swept along with it. It's not like long and methodical and laborious. You know, he really gets to the point, which I like. And it's exciting. It's exciting to find out what's going to happen to her. And it's exciting when she starts her spiritual journey after this just amazing physical journey from a little girl into this midlife transition. When we come back from the break, we're going to visit more with Mitchell Weitzman and talk about some of the secrets in this book. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, this is Sandra Beck, and we are visiting today with Mitchell Weissman. The book of the hour is The Rose Temple, and you're going to want to get a copy of this at Amazon. It's a great read. You're also going to want to go to therosetemple.com and check it out. Now, 
This book has a decidedly spiritual bent. And before you turn your back on this, because you see that it has to do with the Holocaust, the Holocaust is only the starting point of her story. It really isn't the story. This is a story that begins with the Holocaust, but it's not a true, you know, Holocaust. You know, this is this story spans this woman's life and her son wrote it. And it's he's a he's a lawyer, so he can write really well. Like you won't be disappointed um, in here. And the one thing I like is that it's set up in these little chapterlets instead of having really big, long chapters. Mitchell, you know, I read I get boxes of books from the publishers every week and I read. And when I saw your book, I like the font you chose. I like the weight of the paper. It's a very pretty book. It'll make a nice gift. And um, more importantly, you wrote it like in sound bites. So there's 64 little chapterlets, or I guess 67. I don't know. I can't even get to the end here, but but they're like two or three pages long. So you can read and you can stop and you can pick it up and read again, or you can read it in between appointments. It's not something that you have to plod through. And I really like the pacing of your book. And, you know, that's just from a reader and somebody who's a voracious reader. And I love that you have it woven in Lucia's dreams and these spiritual biblical messages that she's getting. That is really amazing. So, so yeah, well, thank you. And um, so the book was intentionally written in sort of a back and forth style. So we talk about the history um, of, of Poland, both of her as a little girl and then her growing up in her young adult years, her, uh, her first romance and then, and then her marriage. And then in alternating chapters, we, we talk about this spiritual journey, these dreams, these visions that she has, um, all really sort of biblically or mosaically inspired. And the, the back and forth nature, nature of it is, is really intentional. And I think it's because I, I like to think of it as combining the material and the spiritual world. She's not living only in a spiritual world. She's not a monk. She's not sort of secluded. She's very much on earth. And, and um, as her son and writer and lawyer, so am I. So, you know, sometimes you, you hear about sort of these mystical uh, uh, books or visions and you think, I don't, I don't know what's out there. This is, this is very grounded, um, intentionally so. Because we all walk this earth really with a constant struggle. We think about, um, we all have our material challenges, our jobs, our families, um, our backgrounds, our past, whatever. We're all dealing with something and it's very real and it's very physical. Um, and then at the same time, there's the spiritual. Um, and some, some of us go to uh, synagogues or churches or, or, or wherever we're going and deal with it then. And for other of us, it's, it's a constant struggle every day. Um, there's a tragedy in your life or there's something unfortunate you read about and you ask, where is God? Um, and so, um, you know, this is a book that at least tries to address it for, for one person, for my mother. Um, as we say in the book, um, you know, I asked, I asked her the same question as, as she went through this book and she dealt with her past, her challenging past, and she found some spiritual comfort. And, you know, in short, she found that God was with her, that God was with her um, even in the beginning when she was suffering, when she was persecuted. God was with her through her marriage and God is with her now. And um, I turned around and I asked my mother, OK, um, you know, that's great for you. I'm glad God was with you and God was with you then and now. What about everybody else? What, what, what are they going to say? You know, what are the listeners in your audience going to say? 
Um, and, uh, and she answered me that she can only write about what she feels. She hopes that it would inspire others. She hopes that others might ask the same question. Um, but we all have to find, we're all, as my mother loves to say, you're born alone and you die alone. You have to forge your own path. Um, and you have to find, you know, your own answers and your own faith. Uh, what we have in, in our book is, is one woman's, uh, really inspiring story and hopefully it will inspire others. Well, and that's the one thing about, you know, spiritual writings a lot of times is they are intensely personal. And, you know, you don't get a Ph.D. in dreaming. You don't get a Ph.D. And, you know, and we're so accustomed to looking at things from the standpoint of like, well, what's her education? What's her background? And I'm like, and I'm here to tell you this background is like 20 Ph.D.s combined. You know, the, the lives that this woman has lived and the things she's taken away from it and then the power of these dreams i mean yes they're her dreams and they're her interpretations or your interpretations also but that doesn't mean they have any less value just because they're not coming from you know this this source i mean when i think that you're an you're an attorney okay your background is in law so your job is to fish out the truth is try to find you know the what's there and clarity and communication all these things that i would expect to uh, not find in a spiritual book, which I think is really charming and funny and in, in, in interesting in the same way, because here is somebody who's highly educated, obviously articulate, well-spoken, writing about spirituality. And I just want to segue to you for a second, because I know that there's other learned professional, licensed professionals out there that long to enter into the spiritual realm, but are afraid of their professional credibility. Did that ever cross your mind? Uh, no, no, it didn't. Uh, and because of this, I think, um, and, I, and I sort of uh, have this attitude as I go around uh, in many circles, including healthcare. Um, you know, I have some children with health issues. And so we see a lot of doctors <laughs> and have been to a lot of hospitals uh, I think that, you know, we all need to be a little bit um, sort of humble that we don't know everything that's out there. Doctors don't know everything that's out there. Our our biggest and brightest scholars, they don't know everything that's out there. And so even though I'm dealing with a realm that's that that, you know, there's no it's not evidence based, as, as we say in our field. Um, that's OK. Doesn't mean it isn't true because it's not evidence-based. Um, it just means we don't know it yet or we don't understand it yet. And so that was the amazing process I had going through this book. There was one, one great example I can think of. Um, so in this book, there's Kabbalah, um, which is uh, Jewish mysticism. There's numerology. There's all, there's all sorts of uh, symbolism, all sorts of interesting things. And one dream that my mother had and related to me, it involved a clock, um, and, uh, she, she ascribed a Hebrew letter to a position on the clock. And I told her thinking, you know, how smart I was and, you know, thinking back to my Hebrew school knowledge, uh, that isn't the right letter for that position on the clock. There is no such letter. Um, and she said, well, maybe, but that's what I got. That's the message that I received. And that was, the, and that was, and it turned out later as you go through the book, uh, which is like a puzzle. It's kind of like a, a little track that she has to follow. Um, it was it was critical. That letter was was chosen deliberately um, as sort of a balance of good and evil in this world and the and the struggles that we all have. So it was very symbolic. 
Um, and so, you know, you can be, you can be an academician and, and criticize somebody for their writing, but understand that there's some things that you don't know and that can't be explained. Um, and that's what the fun of it was. That's what the beauty of it was. Well, and I, you know, it's almost like, you know, when I think of like law and order and I watch these law shows and it's like, Ooh, like they don't have the body. What is it? Habeas corpus or you have the body. I can't, can't remember, you know what it is, but it's like, you're right. You don't have the body in the spiritual thing. There is no definitive right and wrong. Who's to say, but it feels different. Like to me, spiritual books are heart books, not head books, because I can get into my head and, you know, as a critical thinker and somebody who's been a critical thinker in their career, I kind of look at things. But then when I read your book and I've read, you know, different spiritual books that I really like, like this one is a book that I really encourage people to read because it, it soothes your head, but it also feels right in your heart. And that's, that I think is really hard to do if it's, and I, I hate to use this word, but if it's not truthful. You know, if it's just, um, you know, I think people use the term like woo-woo. They go, oh, that's really woo-woo, or that's really, we don't even have a term for it. You know, yes, we have the word spiritual, but this isn't really spiritual. It's 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 life. It's, it's a whole nother understanding of who we are as people and what we're doing here. And with your mother's extraordinary journey, you just go, why was all this thrown at her? Why was she made an orphan again at 50? Why was she put through all this or why did she agree if you know people listening today and some of the great people we've had on our show say we agree to this before coming into our life so there's got to be some message here there's got to be some rhyme or reason which we're all thinking adults you can read it disagree with it or agree with it but the fact is it's really a very thought-provoking book uh thank you and you're right it, it was at times scary to write some of the images that we talk about and some of the, uh, some of the visions, um, you know, she's afraid. My, my mother was, um, essentially a hidden child. So if anything, she was afraid to go out. She was afraid to say who she was. Identity was a big deal for her. Imagine her going out now publicly with a book where, where she's talking about her dreams and visions and, and what the, you know, what she be, what, what she might be criticized for. I think the amazing thing that we found so far is people, not a single person has criticized the, or, or, or debated the dreams or visions. Um, they're just listening to the message of the book, which is a great joy and relief for all of us. Well, and, you know, for those of you listening today, read it for yourself, find out, see what you think. You know, I was one of those people that when the book came across my desk from, you know, a friend who had had told me I need to read this book. And I thought, oh, I don't want to read another Holocaust book. They're depressing. You know, I know so much about it. I don't want to have nightmares from it. And then here this book comes across. I decide to read it. I took a chance on it and I was enthralled and I was you know, invigorated and I was inspired and all these things because it was really, it's, yes, it's historical, but it's very spiritual in nature. And that like added another twist to the plot. It added another twist to things. And the fact that this is written by a living, breathing relative who interviewed 
the subject on the matter makes it even more compelling. So we're talking today about the Rose Temple. The book is written by Mitchell Weitzman. You can find it on Amazon. You can go to therosetemple.com. That's W-E-I-T-Z-M-A-N.com. You're not going to be disappointed in this book. It's a great read. We'll be back after the break, and we're going to talk a little more with Mitchell Weitzman about the spiritual visions in this book. We've got lots more powered up. Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Tossing pennies into the fountain of youth. It's words you never heard. Yesterday I called my computer helpline because I felt an overwhelming need to be made to feel ignorant by someone much younger than me. Hey, I know a few things about computers. The term reboot actually originates from the Middle Ages when horses who stopped mid-stride required a reboot to the hoof to start again. A timinagi is another name for a device that saves you time and labor, such as a computer. Because my computer issue couldn't be resolved over the phone, they sent a Bobby Dazzler over to have a look. The technician informed me that it appeared my computer had been shaken or dropped, or as the Scottish say, misguggled. Whoops, did I mention I have a bit of a temper when things aren't working right? It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is Ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and this is Mitchell Weitzman, and we are talking about the Rose Temple. And as promised, we're going to talk about, God bless you, we're going to talk about some of the spiritual messages in this book. Now, this book can be found on Amazon, and if you guys like the first half of today's show, you can check us out on iTunes under Powered Up Talk Radio. You can also go to PoweredUpTalkRadio.com or our host station in Texas, Toginet, that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com. Now, we're talking with Mitchell Weissman today. The book he wrote is The Rose Temple. Now, his mother is the subject. 
He is a lawyer by trade. He wrote this book. It's a great read. It's it's paced properly. It's produced beautifully. It's got a nice weight to it. It's a good gift book. I feel like I'm like the poster child promoting this, but I really am a big fan of the book. And it came across my desk, not by my choice. You know, this was one of those unexpected gifts of 2017 that, or 1617, that really astounded me because I had turned my nose up at it, Mitchell, initially, I'll be honest, because I thought, oh, not another Holocaust book, not another book that's going to, you know, depress me or put me back into a time that I just is, I just find horrible. But to my surprise and my delight, the book was wonderfully written and it was very, very uplifting. And the Holocaust was just the starting point. It wasn't the whole story. It was actually a very tiny, minute part of the story. It just kind of set the story in motion. And the fact that it is real, that it's based on a real woman and her thoughts and her visions, and that these visions didn't happen till midlife. You know, this show, Mitchell, is a second show. It's second life, second love, second family, second career. You know, we know that the that the people listening today are experiencing the second chapter of their lives. So it's really profound to me that she started her spiritual journey at at midlife. And so but my question today, you know, the, the topic today that I want to talk about is tolerance or intolerance. And, you know, that's such a ugh, such an overused word. But you handle it very well in Lucia's, Lucia's your mother, is the, the subject of the book, in her dreams. And I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, and you, you set that up very well. Um, yes, uh, yes, there's a second life. Um, a second life for me writing the book, second life certainly for my mother, second life for your audience. Um, the question is, what happens to your first life? Do you discard everything? Or is there some something there that you need to hang on to? And so I think that transitions into one of the most, I think, um, shocking, interesting, and for me, transformative uh, parts of the book that really tested my own tolerance. Um, so, uh, and that was... Uh, that was a Jesus. Jesus is the subject of that. Um, and that is a, a, a subject that, at least for Jewish people, is um, a lightning rod often. And um, it's in the book. And I, we were fearful that we would be labeled or called a Jews for Jesus, which we are not. Um, but it's an important part of her experience and an important part of the book. Um, and I can share that with you now. So, well, and I just want to stop you for a second. Give the listeners your background as a as a young boy growing up, which was is, is what makes this even more extraordinary. So, so right. So I I grew up um, going to um, an Orthodox Jewish day school um, where Jesus' name was not even mentioned. Um, so, uh, and certainly my thoughts about Jesus were not positive. Um, and yet here I am with a mother who for uh, 21, you know, for, for 20 years of her life, uh, prayed to Jesus. Um, and, you know, didn't talk about it, much about it when I was growing up, but, but certainly an interesting dichotomy there. Um, so as we're, as we're writing this book, and we were about maybe a third of the way through, um, I'll sort of set this up by saying that she was meeting with a friend of my sister's. Um, they were sitting down for coffee. Um, and he asked her a question that she'd been asked sort of a different variation of. Sometimes she was asked, how did she transition from Judaism to, to Christianity? Uh, she always had a real, um, really sort of standard answer for that. Her answer being, um, and I think it's a good one, she believed in God. 
um, whether she's Jewish, whether she's Catholic, whatever she is, um, she believes in God. The, the religion can change. Uh, the belief in God doesn't have to. But this friend of my sister's asked her a more pointed question. He asked, what did you do with Jesus? And my mother said, Jesus. And it, it just sort of... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and that was just funny the way she said, my mother said, Jesus. Like, <laughs> like Jesus, like people say, that was funny. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, the... the um, the question really sort of cut to the core. Um, it was something that, that she hadn't thought of or that she had sort of put in a box for years. So when she left Poland and married a Jewish man, um, she had a choice to make. Uh, what was she going to do with Jesus? Jesus had been sort of a beloved friend, a protector of her. When she, was a, when she was persecuted at school, when she had difficulty at home, she would pray to Jesus as a, as a friend, as a protector, as a guardian. Um, and now she had to put that away. That must have been incredibly painful for her. I can't imagine, um, you know, having ha- having done that. Um, and so she she becomes Jewish. And here's here's this um, entertainment lawyer asking her, um, sort of cross examining her, what to do with Jesus. Um, well, that question sort of sat with her for a little while, and then she had a dream. Um, a couple of days later, she had a dream where an angel. And somebody who she only guessed later might have been, um, you know, an image of Jesus came to her in a dream, kind of uh, uh, came down like a missile. And she felt intense heat. She actually physically felt uh, a presence and she felt heat from that experience. Um, It was powerful. Um, And she shared that. She shared that with me. And so you can imagine my shock. Um, I hadn't certainly thought of Jesus until that said, what's my mother doing about Jesus? Here I am writing a book about her experience in the Holocaust. And now we're talking about a vision of Jesus. It was shocking. Uh, but as, as we went on and I learned about her other experiences, it, it all, it all sort of, um, was placed into context. And, and the idea being, um, that, you know, why did there have to be this great riff? I mean, um, there was, you know, the, the rift between Christians and Jews 2,000 years ago, um, you know, caused many deaths, uh, much persecution for thousands of years and, and you know, down to, down to the Holocaust. Um, and, and that's the context that I had seen Jesus in growing up. Um, but now here's my mother sort of welcoming him as, as a friend and as somebody beloved. And... I began to change my views. Um, and that but was, that had to freak you out in the beginning, you know? That just had to be like, whoa. It did. I didn't need to go into the divinity of Jesus, and, and, and we still don't need to go into the divinity of Jesus or, or, or that. Simply the figure of Jesus as a, as a beloved friend, as a guardian, um, as somebody who, who – uh, I saw some unity there. I saw peace I saw peace now, whereas before um, I did not see that. And so that was an amazing transformation for me. Um, and that's, that speaks to really both ends of the coin that we were talking about today, or going to talk about today, which is tolerance and intolerance. <laughs> um, uh, both of those, I think, are represented by that story. It's amazing. It's amazing. And how did you find that you changed as an author? Like, you know, we talked about like when your mom had these visions, how it opened your eyes and changed you. How did you change from when you started writing to the book from when you completed the book? Uh, Well, I, (laughs) I certainly, um, um, 
you know, being a lawyer and being a writer, I wanted to write linear. I wanted to go from point A to point B <laughs> to point C, you know, and, and this happened and this happened. Um, uh, and my mother would mess all that up. <laughs> she'd mess all that up with her dreams and visions, right? I thought one thing and then she'd, she'd go somewhere else and I'd have to go back, stop writing, stop, uh, you know, ask her other questions. Um, it was anything but linear. <laughs> and so it was, it was quite a challenge. Um, everything, the amazing thing to me, and I think what your listeners would find amazing, would be how the dots are eventually connected. Um, that was uh, that was an incredible journey, um, and uh, and just and I think I, I take the uh, reader along just as I did um, because it was all a discovery for me, um, just as it will be a discovery for them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's something that is really like I look at this as a great book to read in a book group or a book club or, you know, when when like my friends and I get together and we will often share books and and or all read the same book and then discuss it, which is really a lot of fun. And um, I think this would be excellent for that because it will open up some, you know, great conversations. But yet we have to be tolerant um, of different viewpoints with this, because if you've got Christians, you've got Jews, you've got, you know, atheists, you've got, you know, people who aren't sure, you know, we're going to really run into some hot buttons here. You know, I, I think that's right. I used to go in the workplace, for example, right, where where during Christmas time and, and Christmas dominates. Right. And, and I'm going down my offices, you know, and everybody's got a wreath. And, and, and I have to say, you know, it was resentful somewhat. You know, I didn't like that um, because that, that's certainly another and that and um, I don't have that that tone quite as much anymore. I appreciate it more, um, you know, as long as, as I think people are doing good things, as long as they are tolerant of each other and not intolerant, as long as there's no persecution, then we can all celebrate these different avenues to God. That's only a positive thing as opposed to a negative thing. Well, and that's where it becomes fun. You know, that's where it becomes interesting because we get to really share in in things rather than saying this is your holiday and this is my holiday and you get the menorah, I get the wreath and, you know, never the, the you know, like north and south, never the twain shall meet. It's kind of fun when we kind of, you know, give each other a chance. It, it, it actually makes the holidays so much more fun when we can embrace each other rather than draw a dividing line on, hey, this is not me and this is not you. You know, it is it is hard to believe today that we still have situations around the world where where uh, Christians are persecuted, uh, you know, told to believe believe in this or leave or die. And Jews are told the same thing. It's hard to believe this still exists today. Um, you know, you would have thought that that, you know, we would have learned our lessons, certainly from the Holocaust. Um that we, you know, that there are still lessons to be learned. Um, I think that's what, you know, that's what books like like ours are are meant to do and are called for, to to remind us, you know, of what's at stake and what's important. Um, this is not just some, um, you know, tolerance and intolerance are not just some academic exercises or something that you know we can think about when we're not busy doing a lot of other things. I mean, they're critical and mistakes. Mitchell are- Weissman, The Rose Temple. We'll be back after the break. We've got lots more up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. 
face. Now let me see your war face. Back to number Weirdness. In the outrageous comedy, tune in. AstroNetRadio.com Sides of Man Bones Apple Tree and Witness Tuesdays at 6 on AstroNetRadio.com A fluid math fashion. It's Merging Network Have you ever found yourself in an airplane seated next to a non-stop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfy are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the Match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and we're visiting today with Mitchell Weitzman, and this is The Rose Temple, uh, or the ro- the book is called The Rose Temple, and the website is therosetemple.com, and we're talking about tolerance and tolerating each other and bringing things to full circle, and what I found, Mitchell, is as I've gotten older, like, I was really loving and tolerant in my 20s, and I actually became quite intolerant in my, my 30s and 40s, and now approaching 50, I find that pendulum swimming swinging back again and a lot of it is fueled by the media a lot of it is fueled by you know experiences that I interpreted incorrectly I mean we're human when we know better we do better and now that I've read your book and and I've I've met Lucia you know the subject of the book my eyes are opened even more and I you know I want to credit Linda Franklin she's not on the air with us today but she is always 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 up for you know, another adventure of the mind and heart and spirit and soul. And she's really allowed me to uh, see things very differently. And I think that's when we find happiness. I think that's when we find contentment. And one of the things in your mom's book that, or your book about your mom, talks about is this idea that we're all one. Can we talk a little bit about that? And Because that, you know, if we are tolerant, we see how we are all interconnected. Well, well, absolutely. And the one goes back again to to uh, that little girl in Poland who was, you know, um, a Catholic girl one second and a Jewish girl the second second. And that seemed to cause a, a brick being thrown at her. That's incredible. Um, she was one soul and, and she's the same soul. Um, and uh, through all these iterations, through all these names, uh, through two religions, um, all these countries, uh, uh, she, she's she's one soul. Um, and I think the messages that she's getting in the book, where all the uh, spiritual biblical messages lead, are to you know a message that is that is simple. Um, and you know, it, it is a message of unity. 
um, that we need to be loving of each other. Um, and it, it's so simple. I once asked her, you know, midway through the book, um, so what is this all about? And she said, love. And I said, love, that's it. <laughs> it just didn't, it just didn't sound like a lot, but, it, but it really is, it really is simple. And, um, it really is all about the golden rule, um, that all, you know, that, that both uh, Christianity and, and uh, Judaism and Islam, they all have the same thing. It's all the golden rule, do unto others as they would do unto you. I mean, it's basically the same thing. Um, uh, treat treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, you know, that way, uh, you know, there's less conflict in the world. And, um, you know, we get along better and we're closer to God. I think God wants us to be closer to, to each other and to him. So I think that's, you know, that's ultimately the message of the book. Um, people can take a lot of things out of it, but, but ultimately it is about unity. Well, and I think the interesting thing is, um, it sounds good and it sounds easy, but the actual, like the actual, um, what do you call like the actual execution of it? Not so much. No, but you know what, if I could do it, (laughs) um, so, you know, I can share, um, you mentioned during the break about, uh, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah falling together at the same time this year, you know, which is a great opportunity to think about this. Um, you know, as I started writing the book, um, or even before, I remember I would always think about my mother at Christmas time and how she was, you know, it's such a, be- it's such a beautiful holiday. And I'm able to see that as a beautiful holiday, whereas before I felt a lot of resentment. Um, you know, for the reasons I talked about before, it represents all the persecution and all the suffering that happened to the Jews because of, you know, this 2000 year history of, of strife. Um, and yet now I'm able to see the beauty of it. So I remember when my mother came to visit me in DC one year, um, it was, it was like this, it was like this picturesque Christmas snow, you know, the frosty, the snowman kind of snow, (laughs) you know, and I, I took her to, uh, I think it was near the white house. There's like sort of all these, uh, a little tree for every state. And I just, I never remember, I'll never forget, um, taking that walk with her, um, along those trees and along that route and just seeing how, how the warmth that she felt for it. And because she felt that warmth, I felt that warmth too. It was just a, a magical moment that seemed to transcend, you know, religion and strife and all the suffering. And, and, and all I saw there was beauty, um, completely unexpectedly. What do you think a reader will take away from, from your book? Like, what did you hope the reader would take away? I hope they'll they'll be uh, inspired. I hope that readers will be um, encouraged to um, to make to, to think about their choices um, because it really does take one person. Um, my mother, the people, the Catholic couple who saved my uh, mother. There are two people in this in that big nasty world where there was death all around and danger and risk. Uh, they made that heroic choice to save her life. And to raise her with love and kindness, boy, if they can do that, and and my mother is alive now to to raise us and to write this book. I mean, anything can happen. Um, one life. Um, uh, there's a, there's a Jewish saying: if you save one life, it's as if you'd saved the entire world. That shows you how important one person is. So if one person reads this book and gets one message of hope or inspiration of unity and does something with it or act on it. Um, that would make all the difference for us. That's all we ask. 
Well, and that's, uh, you know, it's amazing when you think about that. You know, when I got to meet uh, Lucia this summer and I got to meet you again in New York City and I got to meet, you know, both, you know, Lucia has her children and then her grandchildren. And, you know, in in, in the next decade, there's going to be great grandchildren and they're all they're all a descendant of this woman whose life was saved. And it was no accident. You know, when you think of how many people perished in the Holocaust and this little girl was given away as a baby once, twice, right? Not once, but twice. And there was a reason that she survived and there was something special about her. You know, you follow through the story, you're compelled to listen to her because you have this just unbelievable connection and you just go it's like the one person that survives a plane crash why did he survive and 300 people died what what is his mission what is his reason for being and i think we really get a good idea of her reason for being in reading this book right and, and yours too right and i think she feels that same way i think that there's 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 something unique about her circumstance yes there were there were people, you know, uh, hidden during the Holocaust who who were hidden by Catholics and then discovered they were Jewish. There's others who are searching for their religion still today, right? They're trying. They're trying the religion flavor of the month, <laughs> um, Judaism and Christianity and and Buddhism, whatever it is. Um, my mother was living with two religions at the same time. Um, one one she didn't even know about. She was living with two identities, two two very conflicting identities. So I think. She feels, and I feel, that she has some standing to 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 make something out of that, to 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 send a message. And well, and they weren't her choice. Like that's the cool thing about this. Like you know, there's a lot of people that go on spiritual journeys and they try things on, like hats or shoes, and see what fits. And I'm not not saying that that's not valid, but it's it's in you know it's 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 kind of you know we we got a lot of we got a lot of stories like that out there. But how many people can say that they were born a certain way, given away twice during the Holocaust, the entire rest of the family perishes, you're the sole survivor, you go and you're raised in your adoptive parents' religion only to marry into your original religion, and then you've got to somehow make sense of it. And, you know, she didn't remarry quickly after her husband died at midlife. She started on this spiritual journey and went all over the world, went to some of these holy places. She read, she attended seminars, she she self-educated herself till she came out with you with, with what she figured out. That, to me, is pretty compelling. Um, absolutely. There's, she had a choice. She could have, um, she didn't want to, she, she wasn't, you know, eager to share this. I actually had to convince her. <laughs> um, she wasn't eager to share, to share her story or to share these visions. These were private. Um, but I said, you know, I told her that, that this is more than just her story, that this is something that has to be shared, um, because it could, it could add a lot of good to the world. It could add a lot of value to the world and make a difference in people's lives. So, um, if, you know, she made, if she made that choice, then, you know, I'm, and I made the choice to write it and to spend all that time with her. Um, you know, we could all make, we, we, we all need to be uh, cognizant of our choices. Well, and, and, and she's chose bravery. You know, when you read this book and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but you see at each point she could have chosen to step forward into darkness into the unknown or she could stay hidden where the known was and at least three or four times in the in the story 
she steps into the unknown, searches for the light, and, you know, the story unfolds. Like, you couldn't have made this up. You know, this is this is something that you read it, and you just you just get carried along with this story. And, and there were times when I forgot that this was a living, breathing human being, and there were times in the story where I felt so frightened, so elated, so so good, so sad, like, you know, this full range of emotions. And, you know, when you read a story like this, you know that there's, there's a, there's a truth to it. There's a reality to it because, you know what, you're a good writer, Mitchell, but you're not that good. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I'm going to say thank you, but I'm not sure how to think that. But anyway, but you know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a realness to it because it's a real woman, real experiences. Well, I want to, I want to, there's there's one quote that I'm recalling because when we, we, you know, we're obviously talking about religious intolerance now, and we talked a lot about Christianity and Judaism and um, Karen, Karen Armstrong, you know, the, the, uh, the well-known British historian, Uh she wrote, she wrote the history of God and, and she just has a quote that sort of sums it all. Um, and it was some of us for us. She says, what matters is not what you believe, but how you behave. I mean, wow. that just, that just to me really sums it up. That does really sum it up. The book of the hour is the Rose Temple. You can find it at therosetemple.com. You can go to Amazon. I'm um, looking at it here. It's, uh, you know, it's about 250 pages, but it's, it's, it's not too tiny print. It's, it's broken up nicely. There's even some pictures in it. There's some really interesting facts in here. If you like stories that you can learn from, if you like stories that can change your life, if you like stories that you can share with your friends, this is definitely one of them. For Sandra Beck and Mitchell Weitzman. This is Powered Up Talk Radio. We'll be back again next week with Linda Franklin. Now, if you like today's show, check us out on iTunes. We have over a hundred hours of great radio free. You just have to download it. You can go to toginet.com. You can go to poweredUptalkRadio.com. I encourage you to get a copy of this book. Don't be dissuaded. It's not just another Holocaust memoir. It's not just a spiritual book. It's not just a history book. It's all of these combined, written in a really delightful package. You won't be sorry you got a copy. For Sandra Beck, for Mitchell Weitzman, for Linda Franklin, and Toginet Radio, I thank you for listening this week. We'll catch you again next week. We'll be back with another thought-provoking episode. Have a great week. Thank you, Sandra. We're so glad you joined us for Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Sandra Beck, Los Angeles-based single mother and technology company owner, knows what it's like to be fit, funny, and fantastic in your 40s. Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and 